So, okay, so we're in mini phase session two, and um, we're talking about these three rules of interfaith dialogue, and that third one, leave room for holy envy, meaning if there's something in another person's religion that you think is really cool, that's okay. That's okay. Um, so what we're going to get at today is he could have chosen three or four or however many like entirely different guidelines. And we're going to move to what is it that this guy saw within Christianity that make, made him arrive at these conclusions, okay? But to start off, we're going to do an example. This is a real-life example. When I was a student in college, one of my favorite professors was Hindu, and he talked about a story from um, when his Hindu friends in India had Christian missionaries come to town. So here's some Hindu de deities, and they had these portraits of their deities in the temple. And um, one day the Christian missionaries came to town. And I'd like for a moment for you to put yourselves in the shoes of the Christian missionaries. You go into this town, and you're wanting to talk about your faith. And you're wanting to um, talk about what's important to you. And so you end up getting in a conversation with some local folks and you end, you end up talking to them about Jesus and about how he's the son of God, how uh, he's really important in your life, uh, how he shows people how to live compassionately. And lo and behold, the people that you're talking to in this village in India say, wow, that sounds awesome. This guy sounds really great. We're going we're gonna to worship him. And so you go back and you're thinking to your hostel or whatever, and you're thinking, yeah, we did a good job. And so you follow up the next morning, and this is what you see. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you see, they've added Jesus, right? So, like, just spend a moment at your table. If you're a Christian missionary, what do you think? Did you have success? Did you not have success? How do you assess this situation? Go ahead and talk about that at your tables for just a minute or two. Hey, don't worry, don't worry, you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome. All right, so I 
know that you're all probably still sharing. But I am anxious to hear your thoughts. What were what were some chunks of wisdom or some moments of hmm that emerged from your conversations and reactions? Do you need a little more time to talk? Okay, okay, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, sorry, go, go right ahead. Okay, what is the wisdom or the moments of confusion or tension that emerged in your conversations and reactions? Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering, like, based off what these people told them, do they really understand him mm. enough to put him up? On the, like, with, they were. Yeah. Or is it just like, you know, you're awesome, you're great. So, yeah, so is there a difference in the kind of devotion that Christians might show to Jesus and a particular way of understanding them versus how Jesus is being worshipped in this context? So that's maybe a, a, a tension or a wondering. Very nice. We had a great talk at our table listening to Norm share about reaching out to Japanese after World War II. That's right. Yeah. That is listening to his story. Thank you. So we tried to point people for Christ and uh, those who committed themselves to the preaching churches. Uh, but personally, I believe in my right to uh, speak of Jesus and their right uh, to help to that we have the right to do what we Yeah. So to hold both that you are a participant and also that you are ultimately not actually in control. That, that the reception of, of your message is going to be conditioned by a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Any other reactions? Yeah, Leslie. So we, we talked at this table a little bit about how somewhat, I think, consistently among the five of us, that we weren't really comfortable with... Um, we, we probably wouldn't have been the person that would have gone in and then tried to persuade them otherwise. And that what I expressed is, well, I'm not entirely convinced that this isn't part of his design, too. Yeah. Then why can't that mm. just be a different room in the house? Yeah. How can that not just be one of the ways different cultures, different continents, different peoples, how, yeah. how is... I mean, I, and I realize, you know, that goes way far away from Scripture, but, hmm. no. Yeah, so... It's something that I'm, I'm not entirely... That for, for me, where it comes to accepting is that I kind of feel like he's higher up than that even. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about, and this is, a, this is important because I think it's really an interesting point, that this in some way is success, that it's okay that 
these folks continue in their practices and maybe, you know, add some new ones that do a little exploring, but, but overall remain Hindu. And that, that we as Christians can rejoice in that. Is what you're, it sounds like well, you're saying. Well, especially like we, the, when we talked last week about the commonalities. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if, <coughs> if what we are taught to go out and do, yeah. aside from recruiting, mm-hmm. but if we're taught to love your neighbor, love his creations, mm-hmm. and if that's a message that shows up in other faiths, then is it just maybe a different yeah. a different means of him yeah. to reach his people? Yeah. So then yeah, so then you're talking about when we as Christians witness to something or um, go on mission, if what we're really witnessing to is love and compassion and kindness and respect for, for creation. And we, we encounter that in the folks that do not share our, our beliefs. Do they actually need converting if what we're bearing witness to are these things that they're already showing? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, and I think for me, the, important, the, the one step further on that is that it's, bottom line, it's not mine to judge. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So you're... It's not mine to judge, she says. So we, you're, you're saying part of your Christian belief is that it's not up to you. It's, no. it's not up to you. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So one reason why I like this example so much is because I think it gets at this kind of, um, this sticky the stickiness between um, is Christianity particular or is it common? Um, because on the one hand, we might say, you know, that's, that's fine that you incorporated, um, you know, Jesus in, into your beliefs. You're already living good lives. You're already living beautiful lives. And on the other hand, we might say, you know, that's fine, but we understand what's going on a little bit differently. And that doesn't mean you have to do it the same way, but you know, this is not necessarily a Christian view of Jesus. This is a Hindu view of Jesus and that's okay. You know? Um, And the other reason I love this example is because it shows that different faiths and religions have a different kind of attitude to begin with toward other faiths and religions. And so for Hinduism, which is a religion that contains many deities, it's kind of like the attitude is, what's another, you know? (laughs) But for Christians, it's a little bit harder, right? Because not only do we have Jesus, but we've got him in this like complicated, intertwined relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. And it it can be trickier for Christians to, to have these conversations. So we're going to delve into theology uh, right now and Christian, uh, Christian theology. And it's like a toolbox. And you're going to need different tools for different contexts. You're going to need, as you go out in your world, 
as you're meeting people from different faiths, you're going to need to assess, am I going to, do I need to be uh, building a house or, you know, digging a well or whatever metaphorically you want to do with these tools? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Of course. Theology is um, from the Greek. Theo is God. Logos is words. So theology is words and thoughts about God. Um, so that's what we mean. We all do theology. If you ever have said, you know what? God is love. That's theology. Or a perfect example. Leslie said, it's not up to me. I, I don't get to judge that. That's theology because it's expressing an idea about who God is and who we are and how we're going to live our lives in light of those two things. So theology, a lot of people, I think especially um, now, nowadays not so much, but some people still have a memory of theology as something that is fixed. You can't change it. Um, it's, it's immovable. And there are certain things in the Christian tradition that we don't really touch. Like, we're not going to open up the Bible and be like, it's a free-for-all, we're going to write a new Bible. Or we're not going to um, necessarily throw out all the old creeds or the Lord's Prayer um, or any of that stuff. On the other hand... Theology is what we are called to do. We are called to speak of God into what we see. And depending on what we see, it's going to shape how, what messages we're going to want to speak of God. Okay? So theology is, um, it's a toolbox. You've got some agency here. You get to shape um, your theology as, as you live. So I'm going to talk to you about the different tools that we have in our toolbox. But before I do, here's an actual tool, right? It's a hammer. And I want to let you know that this hammer can be used to build a house for homeless folks, or it can also be used to bludgeon someone. Right? Yeah. So... As we talk, I'm not going to bludgeon anyone, don't worry. <laughs> As we talk about these tools, each tool that we talk about, even if it's something really, really good like the Bible, we can use that for good or we can use that for evil, you know? And then, of course, the question is, well, what is good and evil? And you know, we should think about that in light of the tools in our toolkit. Okay, here are the four tools. We're going to go through, through them. Basic building blocks of Christianity, Scripture, Old and New Testaments of the Bible, tradition, so looking at Christian history and what has been uh, customary, reason, so that which our brain tells us, both about God and about the world. And then experience. Our everyday lived experience can be a source of theology. But then we have these conundrums of 
What do you do when you have two passages like this? On the one hand, you've got a passage that says, I'm the way, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the, come to the Father except for, through me. Comes to the Father except for me. That's uh, John 14, 6. Seems to be a pretty narrow view. On the other hand, you have this speech by Peter, you know, the founder of the church, who says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Maybe different messages, maybe in your head, in your brain, you're trying to reconcile them a little bit. My experience of scripture is that there are many different voices in it. There, um, scripture was written by human beings. We also believe that it is um, to us the, the word of God. It is the good news that sets us free. But it was, you know, written over a long course of time by humans in very different circumstances. And so if you listen closely to the Bible... There are voices that disagree with each other. And so I'm not a pastor who's going to say something like, the Bible says what it means and it means what it says, you know? I, yeah, Vicki. Don't you get into real trouble too when you start taking out certain verses yeah. or certain passages yeah. to make a point yep. that you want to yeah. take Ooh, so that's a great point. So this is an example where we might end up using our scripture to bludgeon, um, is when we come to scripture and we want it to prove our pre-existing ideas. I, the Holy Spirit is present when we read scripture if the result is our hearts or our minds are opened a little bit. Yeah, Leslie. In the, when we did our uh, I'm Lutheran, so what? Yeah. Before, uh, in the middle of the blue study Bible mm -hmm. that the church offered a decade ago or so, in the section where you can read about Luther, yeah. I like that there was a, there's a part in there where it talks about when there's conflict in the Bible, you always apply the lens of Yes. Okay, you are jumping ahead. But yes, yes, there is actually a way that we specifically in this church and in other churches in the ELCA do this. And that answer is uh, we, uh, when, when we hear scripture that, that offends or that is confusing or that contradicts with another, we always, you know, go to the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And that is the first and final word for, for Christians. We're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, thank you, uh, for, um, about scripture later on. So that's our first tool in our toolkit. When we're making sense of the world as Christians, we look at scripture. What does the Bible say about these things? We can also look at tradition. Right now, in Lutheran circle, circles, this is like a big year because 500 years ago, Martin Luther was revving up to nail some, you know, papers to a door, which is important in our, 
little wing of Christianity. Um, So we can look at the tradition of the church. Look at how other Christians in similar situations have responded to their reality. But here, too, we've got some different examples. We've got the Crusades, which was a religious and political movement where they took armies of Christian soldiers to try to um, spread the word of God and also capture land for, for the people in charge. A really complicated and probably not the best uh, model of um, doing mission work. That's in our tradition. Yeah, that, that's in our tradition. On the other hand, you've got some of the earliest Christian theologians, Origen of Alexandria, St. Gregory of Nyssa, um, who in their writings believed that everything and everyone that God has made will be reconciled and brought to and saved by God, you know? And that was an early strain of Christianity. That's also in our tradition. So as we're unpacking this toolbox, looking at our, looking at our um, world full of many faiths, our world full of many different neighbors, keep in mind that there's differing voices within our tradition as, as well. How many people have heard something like one of these two statements? This is using our brain, using just some, some simple logic, right? So there's some people who, mainly in conversations about the afterlife, um, will say something like, well, you know, God gave us freedom, and if God really gave us freedom, then that means we can reject God. And on the other hand, someone might use their reason and logic to say, well, if we say that God is love, why would God create something that's going to be eternally destroyed and condemned? That doesn't gel, you know? And maybe you have answers to either of these uh, questions going in your brain right now. Maybe your, your thoughts are being stimulated. That, by the way, is theology happening in your brains. And the fourth is experience. This first one, um, my church history professor used to be a pastor, and he said he would have, he was single. And he'd have women after the service come up to him and say, God put it on my heart that we are going to get married. And, you know, I prayed to God and God told me that I'm going to be your wife, you know? <laughs> so that, that's an example of someone's experience. What? So... <laughs> It's just that, well, would you believe that? Would you believe that if someone came up to you and said, you know what, I had a vision and I know in my heart it was Jesus telling me that, you know, you're going to go to the, the prom with me and we're going to, you know. Yeah. So that would go over well with you is what you're saying. That would work. Okay, people take note. This is God's because if someone did that to me, I'd be, I, you know, no. Abs, just no. Yeah. Yeah. No. I just, <laughs> on the other hand, 
We have other people who will say things like they'll attend services at a different religious um, institution and they'll say something there was holy. Was that the Holy Spirit moving in my heart away from my tradition, away from the Bible? What was going on there? So that's our toolbox. Scripture, tradition, using our brain's reason, and experience, our lived experience. They can, they can be used for different things. And um, here's my theology is like, I don't live your lives. I am your preacher and I proclaim a certain message to you. And then you go out in the world you go out into the daily tensions and realities that you alone know, and it's your job. God is sending you there with, with, um, with that message. And so being aware of these tools at your disposal, hopefully you'll be able to make some informed choices. So here we go. Here's the Lutheran blueprint. This is my version of a Lutheran uh, blueprint. Other people... Other Lutherans will disagree because, you know, everyone disagrees about everything. Um, but these are points from our tradition that I think are actually really, really helpful when we live in a multi-faith world and we're wanting to understand it. First of all, sin and grace are always present in everything. That means sin and grace are present in the church. That means that sin and grace are both present in um, my attempts to be a good friend. Sin and grace are present in, you know, my neighbor's faith. I can say that. I can say as a Lutheran that God's, God's grace and the reality of human brokenness are much bigger than my own corner of Christianity. That this is a worldwide, in fact, this is a cosmic thing, and that both realities are true at the same time. So when I'm looking at my neighbor's faith, I don't need to only see like, oh, I've got the truth and you don't. Because my own tradition teaches me that first and foremost, I need the grace of God. I'm a broken person too. And so that gives me humility as I enter into these conversations. And it also, I'm not only am I, um, I'm not only expecting to find, you know, human brokenness in my neighbor's tradition, I'm also open to finding grace for me reflected back to me through their practice and devotion. Here's the one you were talking about, Leslie. Every time Lutherans make a stand about God, we come down hard on God's mercy. So that mercy is present for us whether or not we act act well, you know, whether or not we are able to believe at any sort of moment, whether or not we're a lifelong Christian or a new one or a lapsed one or someone who's nev never going to be one. 
we bet that first and foremost, God is creating and redeeming and sustaining this whole world in mercy rather than a harsh judgment. Um, you know, we, we just don't go there as readily. Third of all, and this is what Norm was saying, this is what Norm said that made me think of. Whenever we talk about God, whenever we talk about salvation, that's not me doing that. That's the Holy Spirit at work. This is from Martin Luther's small catechism on the third article of the Creed, which is about the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther says, I believe that by my own understanding or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But instead, the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. So that means that, <laughs> that, means that if I'm that Christian missionary and I'm talking and the person never converts, if I'm, if I'm wondering why more people, do, you know, maybe in my own family don't come to church or go to a different church, that it's not up to me. We leave room for the Holy Spirit in Lutheranism. And that's who calls us to faith. So, when we're looking at this Lutheran blueprint... I think that what, overall, when we meet our neighbors and they don't share our faith, it makes us stay humble. It makes us get some clarity on what we're talking about when we talk about God, which is a God of love and mercy. And it makes us turn to the mystery in our own, you know, it's not so much that I should feel like I have the truth, and I'm proud to have it. It's more that I should be astonished that I'm even aware of a God who loves me and that at my best moments, I'm able to grasp God's presence with me. You know, that, that's something to be astonished by rather than think that you own. Joel, I have a statement. And from last, in my conversations with my table last week, this is one thing that the table was struggling with, that... There's other Christians yeah. who tend to forcefully yeah. announce their beliefs. And, you know, and so we, we were kind of like, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Because, you know, we, we are more of a, that's interesting, tell me more. Whereas they're like, yeah. well, you have to believe what I believe. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. You know what? We're going to, that was going to be, a, let's just take a talking break on that now. Because this is what I'll say is, um, I actually approach these, it's so, it, it's like a paradox. I approach these beliefs with kind of the same zeal as other Christians approach their beliefs, right? But the zeal that I, that I take to these beliefs, hopefully, keeps me humble and open-hearted, right? But it also says that I have a piece to add to the conversation with other Christians. So let's take this scenario in our groups. And I'm not going to do with another Christian because that's the last, um, that's session five in our series. But let's say, you, let's say you have a friend. 
Let's say, yeah, you are the advanced table, wow. Um, let's say you have a friend who's of another faith. You probably do because maybe that's a reason you signed up for this course. A coworker, a family member, a schoolmate, someone you know who comes up to you and says, I know you're Christian, and I have trouble with Christians because they're always trying to convert me, and I feel like they're, they're, they're never listening. Why is that? Why do you want to do this to me? They're very upset. What do you say to them? Go ahead and talk, talk in your table about that. All right. What did you come up with? What is, what came to the top of that conversation? Share out. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of like it kind of be a fine line between being passionate about your religion and your religion and coming across judging your kind of standing. Yeah. But that's kind of walking a fine line. It's something that's great and it's beautiful to be passionate about. Yeah. But once you kind of maybe cross that line where you're pushy or judging or talking down to people. Yeah. Thank you. Other thoughts or reactions? Okay. Um, yeah. So now we're going to return to Scripture just very briefly. Um, but related question, um, so say you're in this conversation with this, with this person of another faith. They're talking about, oh, it's so hard to be around Christians. They're always trying to convert me. They're always quoting scripture at me, talking about how Jesus is the only way, how those who don't believe in him receive God's wrath, how there's one mediator and it's Jesus Christ and there is no other name under which people should be saved. Um, You can't tell that person that those verses aren't in the Bible. They are. There's this, um, there's this strain within the New Testament that really does pounce on the uniqueness of Jesus in a way that seems to shun away other traditions. This is one reason why we're, we're having this conversation um, is because Christians haven't always been the best at interfaith dialogue. So <laughs> we should be better, which suggests... Which suggests that I think that there are other strategies um, for, for dealing with these exclusive scripture passages. Does anyone have an idea or, or an example from your own life about what you would do with um, helping, hel- helping someone um, engage with those passages? Yeah, Tiff? Oh, no. I, I thought you were asking something else. Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. But I think that, um, you know, if I was in that circumstance, I would just start with opening dialogue, right? Like, well, yeah. what do you believe? Yeah. Or what about it yeah. is off-putting to you? Because maybe we have some shared, you know, I find it off-putting too. And this is how I 
keep my feet in, you know, identifying as a Lutheran while also knowing that there's these yeah. very exclusionary kind of messages in our scripture. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, that's where I'm at. So then how do you reconcile, and sorry to put you on the spot and you can no, say, I don't know, but how do you reconcile that with, with being a part of a tradition, a okay. Christian tradition that has this exclusion, um, these passages within scripture that might be problematic to you in your own personal life. Um, they are problematic. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you do? What, what, are, what are your thoughts around that? And anyone else can chime in here. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking of recovering Catholics. Sure. The Catholic Church, you know, they grew up in great structure. They grew up um, kind of imposing faith. Mm-hmm. And so many of them are like, you know, as an adult, I'm turning away from the church. Mm-hmm. And I just can't be in the church anymore. And, you know, and so listening why why they're against it or why, yeah. you know, what, you know, not be that person who is attacking them, but being the Christian who's listening to them. Sure. And then my question then is what is it that makes you, what is it in your Christianity that makes you the Christian that listens when you've got all the scriptural evidence that, might, that leads many other Christians to different behaviors? Yeah, Lynn? Well, I just go back to, and I know Jesus is, is God, but mm-hmm. I go back to, I just in my head, I, I just think God is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, that's how I, that's where I go. Yeah. And so, it's not up to me to figure it out. Okay, so that is good theology. Lynn is taking these different um, strains of voices within the Bible and looking at her context and making a judgment on how to, how to best understand God. And she's pointing to the strain in Christianity, which says that God is a mystery, that anything that we grasp of God, God is so much bigger than what we can grasp. That is a real thing in Christianity and maybe might be more applicable. Are there other things we can do with, uh, when we come against um, this exclusionary type of, of Christianity? Yeah, Michelle. Um. I reconcile it with believing that above all, uh, God loves everyone, and that's more important than any of these particular verses. And that, um, oh, I just lost the second thing. <laughs> I think that was pretty darn good. That this is a religion is a human-made thing, and that I. That, uh, that there have been a lot of bad people part of this, and that there's always an agenda. And, you know, people want to persuade you to do their thing, whether it's religion or a diet or <laughs> education or a political view. You know, that's the world we live in. Yeah. So I think you have to take this with a grain of salt and think, yep. what is the, the biggest picture, you know, yeah. um, So that's the that's the sin and grace are in everything. And what you're doing is you're looking then at your own tradition and saying, you know what, there's a lot of crappy stuff that's come from Christianity. Why should I be the one who gets to decide about someone else's tradition? Huh? Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, of course. 
piggybacking on that piece, um, I, the way I approach it is that we were talking earlier about how you know you've got the good good pieces in all sure. religions or whatever it might be, and I look at it as God knows what's in your heart, nobody else does. And we're always, always falling short, and we're always trying, and we're always striving to, um, you know, follow, follow what God wants yeah. us to. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I don't, I, I can't be anyone else's judge. Yeah. And yeah. Um, again, there's good and bad in everything and everybody. Sure. And it's yeah. a balancing act in every single one of us, and so it's like. God knows what's really in your heart. And yeah. If you say one thing and you're truly thinking something else, he knows that. Yeah, and we as Christians should know of all people that you can think one thing and say one thing and act one way, and th those can all be, you know, jumbled and against each other. So then why why should we assume that other people might might be different? Chris? Well, I was thinking, I mean, Jesus himself was an example of someone who... Um, accepted everyone and accepted all the sinners um, yeah. and yeah. and so using you know and so since that's you know supposedly something he said uh, maybe maybe we aren't quite understanding exactly what he meant when this was written a long time ago by human beings who heard him and interpreted what they thought he said um, but I, wait, I want you to act like I'm that don't be judgmental of other people. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So you're... He was pretty consistent in that message. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there were a couple things in Chris's answer. One is pointing, like we do in Lutheranism, to Jesus and the mercy and wideness of Jesus' own mercy. And if we're going to know what God looks like on earth for us, it looks like Jesus selflessly loving everyone, crossing those lines of race, religion, gender, any, any kind of lines. And then the other thing that Chris did is talk about our relationship to scripture, right? And say, you know what? Maybe we live in a different world than the writers of scripture lived in. And maybe they meant something different with this sentiment and it's not really falling on our ears and so then biblical scholars do this all the time they go back look at the context see see if um that that sheds light sheds new meaning on it uh yeah wait first leslie and then right now but saying that what scripture says is not what god said mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you're you're talking about different tools in your toolbox yeah yeah what is in the Bible it's historic, is in the historical context. Mm -hmm. um, people like to hear that. No, they don't. No, they don't. But that's the freedom. We, that's why I'm Lutheran is because we have the freedom to go into that messiness, and it's awesome. Yeah. And this is so much an answer to that question as it is addresses the, the heading. Mm. I keep thinking how what, you know, like where you might have a faction of people who. They have their favorite verses to use as bludgeoning tools, mm -hmm. their favorite verses to use as counterpoints. Is that I think of it, you know, like it's like those crazy filters they do at the eye doctor or any oh. photographers in here that still use the, the filters 
that, you, that enhance certain elements in the, in the scene or they mute certain elements. That, you know, that if, the five, if you're wearing a pair of glasses that only picks out all the verses yeah. that support your argument and you don't see the others, but then at life experiences, your yeah. glasses get broken, you put on a new pair and you pick them up and you start reading the Bible and different verses are the ones you see. Yeah. But that lens that you read the Bible with is shaped by mm -hmm. so many different experiences that, yeah. that it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like one of those crazy color yeah, so we bring ourselves and our expectations to the reading of Scripture, right? And so maybe what would be helpful for us, and I think in general, um, Lutherans do a pretty good job of this, is trying to get at, trying to get at that, right? What, what, it, what are our expectations? Are we trying to read and get a certain reading out of a certain a passage? Or are we, um, are we going to be surprised by it? Are we willing to uh, be opened up and understand in a new way? That's harder to do, by the way. And I would say that I am very guilty of, of looking, you know, of not looking at my lenses or being like, I know what I want this passage to say, so I'm just going to make it say that, you know? Um, and to a certain extent, we do have choices. And that's the, the work of theology. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah, so transmission history. So first of all, these things had to be collected and then translated. And translation from Greek into English is also interpretation, right? So if you read different versions of the Bible in English, you're going to get not only um, the gist of the Bible, but also kind of the gloss, the theological um, uh, spin of the, the, the translator. Oh my gosh, yeah, the cultural context of the writers. So we could go on all day. One thing, oops, that I want to um, bring up is um, that's been very helpful to me is a love language. If I go to my mom and dad and I say, you are the best mom and dad that there ever was in history. Is what I'm saying true? Yeah, yeah, I mean, in, in the moment, yeah. In the, yeah, you know, and say, you know, if it, yeah, if, if I go to my boyfriend and I'm like, you are the only one for me, you know? Love language, that's true. Probably I could find someone else and so could he, you know, it's, um, that's, but so there's love language versus language of fact, you know, and so there's some people, some Christians, and I, I like this, viewing these um, exclusive or Jesus is the only way um, as, as an expression of our love and adoration and gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us. Um, okay. Um, yeah, we did that. Um, we've talked about both of these basically. Oh, gosh. 
five minutes, let's do what is truth. Um, and join the good Pontius Pilate from, Bible, uh, from the Bible in this. This uses all of our theological tools, scripture, reason, um, tradition, and experience. There are three ways that I love of approaching the idea of what truth is that I think are ultimately charitable toward other religions. And you can all figure out which one's going to be best for you. And I'm sorry, these are going to involve white guys from Europe. Um, from, so Karl Barth um, talked about nobody actually has truth because all religions are flawed. He saw religion as a human attempt to try to get to God, and that is a doomed quest. That is a doomed quest. And so in that, that way, um, because God is unknowable. And so in that way, it's like Christianity is really no different from other religions because we are just as screwed up as anyone else, right? <laughs> but we know this. The, the one advantage that Christianity has is that it's because of Jesus that we know this. It's because of the cross of Christ on which Jesus, um, living a perfect life full of compassion, was still pushed out of the, the, the world by religion, by politics, by all the forces. And that what, that what Jesus' death on a cross did was just show how broken the world is. So that's one way that you can look at other religions. But in my view, it still leaves them kind of negative. You're only viewing negative aspects of each other. So then you have this happy guy, um, <laughs> Karl Rahner, a, uh, a Roman Catholic theologian. And he said basically the opposite. He said that when God gives the world the Holy Spirit, God gives the whole world the Holy Spirit. And that, that God is pouring out God's mercy on all people. And so when we listen to a Buddhist talk or a Jewish person talk or a Muslim talk, we should be listening for the Holy Spirit, the same one that we encounter in our church. He went so far as to say that other people in other faiths and of no faiths were saved, were saved because they had the Holy Spirit. They were being enlivened by the one God who enlivens all people. And he would call these people, Christians and Muslims and Jews and Buddhists, um, anonymous Christians. Anonymous Christians. And on the one hand, that's a really positive designation, right? And I, I feel like if a Buddhist person came to me and said, well, I think of you as an anonymous Buddhist, I'd say, well, thank you, that's nice. But I happen to be Christian, you know? And so um, he, he views everyone as being saved by the, the truth that we have, right? So um, how much, if you're listening for your own Holy Spirit back to you from another tradition, how deep of a listening is that, right? And then we've got this guy, um, Aloysius, Aloysius Pyrrhus. He's still alive. He's in Sri Lanka. Um, I'm not going to play the YouTube clip, but he has this amazing, um, amazing, it's uh, very much uh, heavy accent 
and a crappy camera on YouTube. But the content is really good. What he did in his context was he told Buddhist people Christian stories, stories about Jesus and what Jesus did. And then he said, why don't you make some art out of this, out of these stories that I told you? And then he would hear the stories back from back to him, his own stories told back to him by another person showed him something new about his own tradition. And so his Christianity, his devotion to Jesus was strengthened by the Buddhist devotion of others. He was a stronger Christian because they didn't convert to Christianity. And he has this quote on, uh, in one of his videos, which I love. He says, a Buddhist sees things that we don't see. This picture presents a new fact. We cannot understand our uniqueness unless the other tells us. It's always by listening to the other that we know who we are. Our identity can't be presented by us. It has to be detected by the others. And that's what's happening here. And what the Buddhists noticed about the scene of Jesus washing the feet was saying, your religion has these unique points. You have a teacher who serves. You have equality between women and men. And at the supper, there's no class difference. To me, when I hear that, I feel shameful because there are, you know, bad gender roles in Christianity. There are class differences in Christianity, but this guy had seen the best and he had reflected it back. And so that's the view of truth that I take is that my job is to follow Jesus and the way that I can do that best is by listening to other people's voices. We are done for today. Next week, we are going to have um, the youth group from Northwest Islamic Community Center here and be thinking about that. Be thinking about how their Muslim devotion makes you better able to follow Jesus. If you have questions, come talk to me. Sign in on the sheets and we're